You're listening to the Marietta Seventh-day Adventist Church podcast. Today's message comes to us from the associate pastor of Marietta Seventh-day Adventist Church, Luke Steen. Hey, Mac family. What a joy it has been to worship with you for these past three years. Thank you for joining us this Sabbath. Whether you're joining us through Vimeo or Facebook, I'm glad you're here. If this is your first time joining us, hey, we're glad you're here. One of my favorite things about being at Mac is every day I receive a text message. Well, I actually receive four text messages, and they're all from Janine Skelton. And they're this thing called memes. I don't know how she finds all of them, but they are downright hilarious. Just this week, she sent me one that said, might sleep on the couch tonight to cut down my morning commute. I've always loved a good meme. And during quarantine, there was this one meme in particular that was making rounds because it captured the heartbreak of many sports fans having to go through this time without sports. The meme said, day three without sports, found a lady sitting on my couch yesterday. Turns out she's my wife. She seems nice. No sports is rough. Carissa even found me watching sport highlights from 2011 because I just wanted to watch a sport. But thankfully, there has been one sporting event going on during this quarantine. It's been a documentary titled The Last Dance and it chronicles the 1997-98 NBA season. The final season of the dynastic Chicago Bulls with Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and Dennis Rodman. It's 10 episodes, and as someone who didn't really get the chance to see Michael Jordan play, it was revelatory about his abilities. Now, I've heard the countless debates on who the greatest of all time is. Is it LeBron or is it Michael Jordan? Is it someone else like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? But after this docuseries, much of us who didn't grow up watching Jordan finally understand the debate. There isn't one. It's Michael Jordan. Now, the docuseries starts out chronicling Jordan's draft year to the team, the assembling of management and player personnel, as well as the reason for the title of the docuseries itself, The Last Dance. See, the head coach during this time was Phil Jackson, and as each season approached, he would create the year's playbook and team philosophy. His final touch was to always give each year, each playbook, a title. And for the 97 and 98 year, his title was The Last Dance. This was because the general manager of the Chicago Bulls wanted to bring in a new head coach. He had told Phil Jackson that this would be his last season in Chicago. And so rightfully, he, he on the precipice of a second three-peat, titled that year as the final dance. The last go-round for this dynasty. What a final it would be as the Chicago Bulls would go on to beat the Utah Jazz, Carl Malone and John Stockton in six games to capture another championship. What a way to end. What a way to finish a chapter. What a last dance. It's a textbook story of finishing well. Something our parents seek to instill in us, a drive to finish strong, finish the semester strong, finish that 5K, that marathon, that Ironman, strong. Finish the year strong at work. Take the next 30 seconds and comment in the section below or discuss with your family what does it look like to finish strong. What does that mean?
the Apostle Paul is facing this very question as he writes to the church in Philippi. He's writing to a church that was started out of the home of Lydia, somebody Paul baptized. This is a church that he holds deep in his heart, and he's writing to them not knowing if he will live or be executed. He says in Philippians 1.19 and 20, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provisions of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul is imprisoned because he won't stop preaching the good news, the wonderful story of his friend, Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ. But this time, he doesn't know if he'll be able to continue his ministry because it looks like execution is on the horizon. The Philippian church loves Paul and has even sent Epaphroditus to him, bringing a gift. Epaphroditus risks his life trying to reach Paul, and so Paul sends Epaphroditus back, probably carrying this letter we have in our Bibles. But Paul knowing what's on the horizon and the uncertainty of the future starts to pin what could be his final words. Now, I imagine Paul sitting there in his shackles, dust on the floor, a tattered beard, stained clothes, thinking, how can I finish well with this church? How can I be an example of faithfulness to the end? What final words should I say? This is the beauty of Philippians in our Bibles because it's Paul's presumptive last dance. And so Paul carefully crafts this beautiful exposition on one primary thing, Christ. Right after telling the Philippians that he is okay with life or death, he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul knows that living truly only happens when we embrace Christ and are rooted in him. He knows that living begins when we surrender to Christ. He then transitions in chapter 2, urging the Philippians to be like Christ in humility, reminding them of what Christ gave up on their behalf. This letter is packed with beauty about Christ and his love for us. But at the end of the letter, we see an aspect of Paul that we don't usually get. We see the apostle God called to take the gospel to a non-Jewish world struggle to close out his letter. Philippians chapter 4 is Paul's second goodbye. If you've ever had to say goodbye to someone who is very close to you, then you know how hard it is to finally say goodbye. You end up saying goodbye multiple times. This happened to me when I was finishing up my senior year in Utah. Our season had come to an end, the team had disbanded, and many of us had already uh, left to return home to the various states we came from. And so there I am packing up my stuff to head home to Texas, and my roommate Lucky is waiting to get picked up by his mom. She's on the way, flying from Malibu, California. The final thing we both have to pack up is our hockey equipment because we had laid it out in our host family's garage so that it could uh, get more oxygen and, and dry out. And as we put each piece of equipment into our bags, we're, we're just kind of sitting there. We're reminiscing on all the fun times that we've had during that year. And there are so many stories. We're thinking of the time that we gave a teammate a chocolate laxative on a long bus ride. We're thinking of the time that we're driving to practice, jamming out to our favorite song playlist, not caring who's listening with all the windows down. We're thinking of the times that we pushed each other beyond what we thought imaginable so that we could be the best. But then finally, Lucky's mom arrives and we have to say goodbye. And we probably said about 50 goodbyes, but eventually they leave and I'm there left to finish packing up before my long drive the next day. 
Now, it had been several hours and my elbow pads hadn't quite aired out properly and so I'd left them out. And so I walk back in to place them in my bag and zip up my bag and I see another bag there. And it's Lucky's. He had forgotten to pack his hockey equipment into his mom's car. He was so distracted about saying goodbye. And so I call him up and I tell him about it and they had to turn around and drive back to pick it up. Goodbyes are tough. And Paul in Philippians is struggling to say goodbye. He's already said goodbye to them in chapter 3 where he starts out in, in chapter 3 verse 1 finally. But he says goodbye again in chapter 4. And it's in this second goodbye that we get a powerful promise concerning what to do with anxiety. Paul says in Philippians 4, 6-7, through 7, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer with supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul knows that adversity causes anxiety. He knows that the Philippians are anxious about the future. They're anxious about what might happen with Paul. They're anxious about what might happen in their church. They're anxious. Anxiety is something that happens. It's part of our human condition. Some might experience anxiety more often, but everyone gets anxious. We get anxious when our plans fall through and we don't know what's next. We get anxious about that diagnosis. We get anxious about that relationship. We get anxious about that job. And during this time, we're anxious about our world. Paul's counsel is to pray. He says, be anxious about nothing. But notice, that doesn't mean never be anxious. It means when anxiety arises, we have something we can do. Pray. Now, prayer is this mysterious thing that, that to an outsider looks like you're just talking with yourself, but we know that we are appealing to an almighty God who happens to be our greatest friend. Sometimes we might get fixated on why prayer works or become obsessed with a formula to get the results that we want, but in reality, prayer is very much a childlike action that requires a childlike thought process. See, when I was a kid, I was incredibly destructive. This is why I could never play uh, any other sport other than a contact sport because I'm constantly breaking things or ruining something. And as a kid, I would always destroy my school uniform. You see, my pants, my mom would have to buy pants knowing that I was going to turn them into shorts after two weeks because I would tear holes in the knees. She always knew that every toy I would ever have needed uh, to, to play with would need to be reassembled because I would break it. You could bet on that. I was going to break it. But no matter what, no matter how destructive I could be, I could always take my mess, what was causing me sadness, what was filling me with anxiety, to my mother. And she would fix it. But sometimes I had to wait. Sometimes it would be several weeks before whatever I needed to be fixed would be fixed. But once I gave it to my mom, I didn't worry about it anymore. Why? Because I knew that my issue was in the hands of someone who could restore and fix Prayer requires that understanding of God. It requires us to act as children who bring our worries and brokenness to Him, but once we place it in His hands, the promise tells us that peace will come. There's a quote that I often recite when thinking of prayer, and it comes from a man named Edward McKinney Bounds. He says, Faith that creates powerful praying is faith centered on a powerful person. And so Paul tells us that when anxiety comes, and it will come, that we need to take it to God because God wants to be handed our issues and in exchange, He promises peace. 
But this peace is like no other peace we've ever experienced. He says that it surpasses all comprehension. We can't even understand it. It won't make sense. I think of John Wesley as he traveled to America to evangelize the Native Americans, thinking that he was going to bring the gospel to them. He came over on a, on a boat with these Moravian Christians, and while in America, struggled to proclaim the gospel. And as he's on his way back to England, heartbroken, wondering if he even knows Jesus, he's sailing back on this boat, and he gets caught in a storm, and it's scaring him. He was terrified as the waves just crashed into and over the sides of the boat, thinking that this could be the storm that ends his life, that sinks his boat. He's filled with anxiety. But while looking around at these other Christians he's traveling with, he realized he was the only one anxious. You see, they were laughing, they were calm, they were peaceful. John Wesley wanted to know what that was, and so this led John Wesley to attend a Moravian Bible study where he heard the essence of the gospel really preached for the first time. It was because of this peace that didn't make sense. So Paul says in his second goodbye that when anxiety arises, we pray. And God takes our anxiety and in exchange gives us peace. But Satan doesn't like that and will do everything he can to make us anxious again. But Paul says that that peace God gives will guard our hearts and our minds. This peace is set up as a watchman to protect our hearts from the attacks of Satan as he seeks to stir up that anxiety again. This is the God that we take our anxiety to, one who guards our heart. When everything seems uncertain and we don't know what the future holds, we do know one thing, and that is Christ is coming and with Him a perfect world. We can look back at the cross and, and know how much God is for us and use that as encouragement to truly leave our problems and worries in His hands. We can be anxious for nothing because of what Christ has done for us. What a powerful promise. Carissa and I have some fantastic friends who unfortunately have made this terrible decision to try to move north to Michigan. Now it makes sense because that's where they're from. And they have an eighth grader who just graduated and so he's now he's going to high school and they want him to head up north so he can go to the academy up there. But these friends are such inspirations to Carissa and I and we're going to miss them tremendously. Their faith is such a witness. The mom, a very successful published author who has such a childlike heart for the downtrodden and oppressed. And the dad is an educator who exudes patience and joy with his students. They have, in many regards, been spiritual mentors to us. Currently, they're moving without a promised teaching job for the dad. And with this whole COVID-19 situation, who knows what teaching jobs will look like next semester. This is a family that is committed to the cause of Christ. They serve Him with everything they have. They budget to help those in need, even during this time when many of us may have tightened our finances. They've been generous. When circumstances have been unkind, they've extended grace, even moving beyond personal hurt to be examples of Christ-likeness. And yet here they are, packing boxes to move cross-country without a guaranteed job for the dad. This is a situation that if many of us were in, would be wrapped in anxiety, where maybe spouses are at odds and kids can feel the tension in the air because of how present the uncertainty is. But their commitment to Christ is unwavering, and they have modeled this promise from Philippians 4, 6, and 7 in front of Carissa and I's very eyes. Following Christ doesn't mean you won't endure hardships. It doesn't mean you won't fall on hard times. It doesn't mean you'll have the best finances or secure job or good health. But Paul says that no matter what situation we find ourselves in, 
when anxiety comes, we have the opportunity to place it in our Heavenly Father's hands, knowing that He knows what to do with it. This is exactly what our friends have continued to do, and it has changed the way Carissa and I not only look at prayer, but the way that God interacts with us in general. Their childlike trust in God's goodness to them is beautiful and reassuring, especially during a time when Carissa is still looking for a teaching job up in Alpharetta. Alpharetta. Paul's finishing well. His second goodbye, a presumptive last dance, reminds us that even though new chapters can produce anxiety, as followers of Jesus, we have the ability to take that and place it in God's hands and in exchange receive peace. Michael Jordan would go on to hit the famous shot that would end the season, making the Chicago Bulls the champion for the third season in a row, a perfect way to end, a perfect last dance. But for Paul, his last shot to a church that he calls his joy and his crown is to remind them of the power of prayer. What is it that you need prayer for? What is causing you anxiety that our church can pray for? Comment in the section below your prayer requests because we want to pray for them. So take the next 30 seconds and drop your prayer request in the comment section below. What a blessed assurance we have that God hears our prayers and will give us peace that surpasses all comprehension. There's a classic story that gives a beautiful illustration about why prayer is such a blessing to us. It's the story about a man that lived in the country. One morning as he's walking across his property, he heard the sound of of hound dogs chasing the deer across an open field. He could tell that the fawn was very tired of being chased and was close to giving up. Reaching the fence near the man, the fawn leaps over and crouches on the ground just 10 feet from the man. A moment later, two of the dogs leap over the fence and instantly the fawn scampers over to the man and is pushed its way in between his legs. He lifts the fawn up to his chest and spins round and round to fend off the dogs. The man said, I felt just then that all the dogs in the West could not and should not capture that fawn after its weakness had appealed to my strength. Happy Sabbath, Mac family. Thank you for worshiping with us. Luke and Carissa, while I wish that we could do this here in the church sanctuary with a room full of church members that love and adore you, this will just have to do. Now, normally, if this was your last Sabbath, we'd bring you up here on the platform and the elders would surround you and the the church members would surround you. But that's just not possible today. And so we have to do this virtually. But you all have impacted the lives of so many people in our church. You've helped shape and change the culture of our church to be disciple-making, to be focused on others as we go on God's mission. Luke, you've been a best friend to me. And I love the fact that you're not going too far, that we get to be together and still eat a Capriotti's at least once a month. Carissa, your sweet, loving personality has just welcomed others in, and we love and adore you. You, too, are going to change the world as God uses you wherever you are, whether it's here in Marietta, whether it's in Alpharetta, or wherever you are. He's going to use you in a powerful way. Now, if you were here this morning, 
we would pull you up on the platform and we would have a special prayer for you. So if you are watching this video, whoever you are, wherever you are, bow your heads with me and let's pray a special send-off prayer for Pastor Luke and Carissa. Heavenly Father, it's with sad and joyful hearts that we send off Pastor Luke and Carissa Steen as they go to their next assignment, to their next placement, to the next opportunity that you have for them. And we know that you'll use them. So I ask that you will prepare them for what they will face. Allow them to, to know your will as they transition. Help them to see you moving ahead of them and behind them. Give them confidence in who you have made them. And God, someday soon, may we be together rejoicing in who you are and that you've brought loved ones together once again. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. inspired by today's message, and we would love to hear from you. If you would like to contact one of our pastors, find out more about what we believe, or for information about our service times in Marietta, Georgia, please visit www.mariettaadventist.org. If you were inspired by today's message, please share it with your friends. It is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are available.